Well, good morning again, everybody. It's great to see you all this morning. Welcome back to Community Church. As always, it's great to worship with you. What a great time of worship this morning. It's been good for me to uh, be out there the last couple of weeks. Normally, I'm over here, but I get to hear the sound of the saints a little bit better, and it's just beautiful. So uh, I love our time of worship each and every week. Um, but it's good to be off and running in a brand new year. Are you excited about that? I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do with this little church in 2023. And so it got me to thinking, I want to see what you guys have to say about that, right? I want to see where your heart is. So I'm going to just open it up here for a minute and ask a question. What's the one thing that you're hoping for in 2023? Have you thought about that? Anybody? Yes. What's the one thing you're hoping for? Growth. Growth. All right. I love it. Anybody else want to chime in? What's the one thing you're hoping for in 2023? Anyone? No? No? What's that? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. We're a community of believers spend time praying together on a monthly basis. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Any other thoughts? If you had one hope for 2023, what would it be? Uh, on a personal level, some uh, discipline in you know, reading my Bible. And then yeah. on a church level, I'd like to not be in this room next year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's looking for another church. If you throw me the softball, I'm going to hit it out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. Really good to hear from you guys on that. I love that. But let me say this. I know one thing for sure, that every single Christian, whether in this room or outside of this room, should be hoping for in 2023 is the return of Christ. We should be hoping for and praying for the return of Christ. Listen to how Paul said it in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. He said that we should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's my hope, is that in 2023, we can be hoping and praying for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't do a scientific survey here, okay, but just a cursory viewing of the New Testament. There's over a hundred passages in the New Testament alone that speak of Christ's return. And there are at least 15 of those passages that speak of Christ's imminent return, which is to say his soon return. Okay, that's what the word imminent means. It means he's coming soon. And I want to read just a few of those scriptures to you. I'm just going to read a portion of some of them, but listen to this and see what your takeaway is. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 says, Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and hear this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you hear some of that in these, in these scriptures? Stay awake. Watch. 
stir up, don't neglect, encourage. All of these things as we see the day, that means the day of his return, drawing near. And of course, in one of our passages today from Luke chapter 12, verse 40, it says, You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. So, you see the urgency in these passages, don't you? You see this necessary urgency in the life of these early believers because the truth is Christ could come back at any time. As far as I can tell, there's nothing else on the prophetic calendar that needs to happen in order for Christ to return. His return is imminent. It could happen at any time. And so it's kind of like this urgency here that we're going to see in our passage today of Christ's return is similar to the urgency that we've seen in our passage from last week whenever we've seen that the soul was required of the rich man in Christ's parable that night. Right? He had plans for many years. God said, fool, your souls are going to be required of you this night. So there's urgency implied in both of these passages from last week and of course, this week. So, if you would, pray with me quickly again, and then we'll get into our text this morning. We love you, and thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word. Thank you so much for protecting it. Thank you that it is eternal, Lord, and we just look to it this morning for guidance and wisdom, for help, for comfort and conviction, and we pray that your spirit would bring that to us as we look into it this morning. So, please have your way as we study your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So our passage today is in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 48 in Luke chapter 12. Now, if you would like to do a little comparison study on your own, you can also find some of this teaching in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. But the context is this, okay? Christ has turned his attention back to his disciples in verse 22. Okay, and he's told them, look, y'all, don't worry. Don't be anxious about these things, right? The Father is pleased to give you his kingdom and so on. That's the context. But of course, we know that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. We looked at John 18, 36 last week, but we know this, it's coming. Okay, it's not of this world, but it's coming. And so after he had taught the crowd the parable of the rich fool, Remember the one who coveted, the one who was greedy, and so on, instead of preparing for eternity, after he had taught that parable, now Christ is about to teach them of the consequences for those who either waste their life on material things or personal pleasure, and so on. Those who do not watch and wait for the Lord's return. They don't serve Him, right? So there's an interesting dichotomy here in this teaching because when you think about it the reality is there's only two ways out of this world right we know one that's death this night our soul might be required of us that's one way out uh, but the other way is if Christ were to come back if he were to return and that's what our teaching is this week last week Christ taught us about one way out of this world death this week he's going to teach us about the other way out his return okay so what we see in this passage is really a parable of, you might say, appropriate and inappropriate responses, okay, um, to Christ's return. And so as we read through this, um, be on the lookout for some words. Be on the lookout for 
doing, delaying, not preparing, not knowing, etc. And so let me back up just a little bit here and I'll read the text for us this morning. It says this, starting in verse 35 of Luke 12, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Verse 38, And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Verse 44, Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, Master, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. And then verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. All right, so we do see this dichotomy here. We see faithfulness and we see unfaithfulness. We see uh, being prepared, being ready, and we see being unprepared and not being ready and so on. And so this is all in relation to the return of our Lord, to the return of Christ, right? Now, there's some scholars who will argue that this is uh, talking specifically about the second coming of Christ. Okay? There are others who would argue that, no, this is talking about the rapture of the church. And I would personally say that this is applicable to both. Okay? Because this is my opinion right here. Okay? I'm just share my opinion. This passage of Scripture is not intended to give us an order of events, so to speak. Okay, as it relates to the end times. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here this morning trying to sort out our eschatology. Okay, we're just going to focus on the importance of being ready. I think that's the point of the passage. We need to be ready when Christ either calls us home through death, right? Like we talked about last week. We need to be ready whether he meets us in the air, which is the rapture of the church. We need to be ready at his second coming, at his return, when he comes in all of his glory to set things right. And so the point of this passage is, am I ready? Looking at verse 35, Jesus speaking says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. So that word girded is not one we use 
in our lexicon much today, right? So it just simply means like literally to put a belt around, okay? So back in the day, they had long sort of robe type clothing and what they would do is gird their waist and that meant they put a belt on which would pull up the slack of that robe of their clothes so that they could move quickly. Okay, it would expose their feet so they wouldn't trip if they had to move quickly. And so they would get dressed. They would ready themselves. That's what to gird your waist would mean. That's physically what it means. Now listen to the spiritual application here. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul said, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Interesting. Okay, so we gird our waist with truth. Peter said it like this, Gird up the loins of your mind in first Peter. Okay, so there's this idea of pulling up the slack of your life, right? Just focusing on things that are important. We need to gather up our life to the point that we can be flexible. We can be quick. We need to be girded up and ready to go. If the Lord should call and ask us to do anything, our answer should be immediately, yes, Lord. So we're girded, right? We're ready. That's the idea here. We've pulled up all of the slack of our life. Think about what slack is. How many hours a day do we waste? I don't know about you, but I get a little notification on my iPhone about screen time. (laughs) I get that once a week. And my goal each week is to try to make that less. Okay? That's slack that can be girded, right, in my life. And so think about it like that. So he said, let your waist be girded and your lamps be burning. Now, Christ uses this analogy of lamps a lot. We've seen this before, in particular in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke. And let me read some of that for you. In Luke eleven thirty three, Jesus said, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. In verse 34, Luke 11, the lamp of the body is the eye, Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Luke eleven thirty five. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. And then finally, in Luke eleven thirty six, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So Jesus' instruction here, in light of his return, is that we gird up our waist, that we're ready, that we don't have slack in our life, that we live with purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're not wasting our time, or wasting his time, I should say, right? But that also our lamps are burning. It's not wait for the sound of the trumpet or, you know, or what, and then light the lamp. No, the lamps are burning, Right? That's the idea here. Okay? And so the word burning here means to set on fire or kindle. It literally means consume with fire. That's what our life should look like as a believer in Jesus Christ. You've all known the new believer. You probably remember when you were first born again. You were on fire for the Lord. We use that phraseology, don't we? When we see somebody who's new to the faith, man, they're on fire. Well, that's a good analogy. But... Too often we say, well, I used to be on fire, or I was on fire. We need to keep our lamps burning, consumed with the glory of Christ. We never need 
not be on fire, I guess is the way to say that, right? We need to be consumed with Christ. I like what William MacDonald said here. He said, The girded waist speaks of a mission to be accomplished, and the burning lamp suggests a testimony to be maintained. And that's right. We have a mission. Our waist needs to be girded. Gird up the loins of your mind, right? The belt of truth, all of these things. We need to be ready and willing and doing the things of Christ until He comes, right? And our lamps should be burning, meaning that's our testimony. That's the light that is shining into the world, into the darkness, the light of Christ. And so what we have to do is gain a heavenly perspective in order to accomplish these things. We've got to get our eyes up off of our problems, off of our worries, off of our situation, and onto our Savior. We need to focus on the return of Christ. Verse 36, And you, meaning the disciples or believers, you yourselves be like this, be like men who wait for their master. Okay, so we're the servants and Christ is the master here in this analogy. He says, <coughs> pardon me, wait for your master when he will return from the wedding that he comes and knocks Uh, that they may open to him immediately. So this is figurative language here of a Jewish wedding. Okay, most Jewish weddings were held at night. And so the groom would go out to meet his bride. This is possibly talking about the rapture. We're not going to get all into that. But then he would return home where the guests would be ready. Their loins would be girded. Their lamps would be lit. Right? They're ready and waiting for the return. To wait here means to receive to yourself. That's what the word literally means. It means to give access or to wait with confidence and patience. It also means to look. Okay, so it's not that we're just all kicked back on the couch waiting for Christ's return. We're actually on the lookout. We're actively waiting, you could say. So here's the contrast in the passages from last week and this week. Here's what we're not to do. This is what we learned last week in verses 13 through through 34. We are not to covet. We are not to be greedy. We're not to worry. We're not to have an anxious mind. Similar things like that to what we talked about last week. Here's what we are to do right here in verse 36. We're to look for and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ at any moment. Guys, someone who's focused on themselves will not wait for Christ. They won't do it, okay? They will, th- they will say things like, oh, my master's been delayed or, or whatever. There's excuse after excuse, verse 45. But someone who is focused on the return of Christ will not have to get ready, will we? Our lamps will be lit. Our waist will be girded. They will be burning. We will be looking, right? You see all of these things. We're, we're going to be dressed. We're going to be ready to walk out the door when Jesus calls us home, okay? We're not going to have to go gather our things. In other words, we're ready. There's great anticipation, and the Word says in verse 36 that we open the door immediately, you know? It's not going to be a knock on the door and, hang on just a second, let me go gather my things, <laughs> Or, or whatever, I'll be right back. No, it's going to be, we open the door immediately because here we are with everything we need ready to roll when Christ comes or calls us home. Okay, Our lamp is burning. Our waist is girded. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when He comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that He, meaning the Master, will gird Himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. 
So here the word watching is a little bit different than the word waiting in the previous verse. This word watching here, it means to give strict attention to. Okay, it means to be cautious, but to be active. Right, so we're looking for not just any Christ, we're looking for the Christ. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And we're actively watching for him. Okay, so to watch, think of it like this. To watch is to do things with purpose. Okay, do things on purpose in light of Christ's soon return. That's how we should be living our life, right? But then the word says that he will gird himself. In other words, the master will serve the servants. And this is interesting because I think this tells us here that our reward is Christ. Christ is our reward. He's going to have us sit down and take our rest in him. So we should learn something here about biblical leadership. You see how these roles are, are reversed, right? The master is serving the servants. And this is Christ's model of service all throughout the New Testament. It's servant leadership. Remember when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13? Man, how humbling was that? I mean, I don't know if any of you all have had your feet washed by a brother or sister in Christ. Has anybody had that happen? Yeah. See, I used to think that was weird. Okay? But actually, it's not. I had this happen a few years ago at a men's retreat. Uh, one of the elders of our church asked me and another pastor from the church to come forward after a time of worship. And he had brought a basin, a wash basin and a sponge and everything. And, and after worship, he said, I want to serve you. Uh, this is someone I highly respect. I look up to in just about every aspect. And I was a bit embarrassed because I needed to be washing his feet. Right? That's how I felt about that. It's like, I don't like this. I need to be washing your feet. But he humbled himself and scrubbed my feet. And it was awkward until, of course, he got to my feet and said, your feet are small. <laughs> okay. But anyway, it was a special time. And uh, it, was, it was very humbling, but you could say the master was serving the servant in that instance, right? Just like Christ served his disciples. Remember when um, Christ cooked breakfast for his disciples, Peter in particular, after Peter had denied him. You remember that? You know, Christ had said, you know, Pete, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, no, I'm not. And then he did, of course. And then after that... Uh, Peter was like, look, I don't think this is going to work out for me. I'm going to go, go fishing. He was going back to his old life. Okay, He thought he blew it to the point to where he could no longer walk with Christ, and he was going back to his old life. Well, it turns out he wasn't any good at fishing either. Okay, Because they weren't catching anything until Christ showed up and said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. So the lesson for us to learn here is don't give up on Christ because he's not giving up on you. If you try to go back to your old life, it's not going to work out for you there anyway. Amen. You need Christ there too. Amen. And so Christ shows up, tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. They get a ton of fish and Christ cooks them breakfast. Amazing. That's amazing. And that's John 21, right? So Christ served his people while on earth and he's going to serve his people in heaven. It's quite amazing. Verse 38. 
And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Amen. Which servants? The servants that are ready. The servants that are watching. Those are the ones that will be blessed. Those who love his appearing, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Did you know that there's going to be a crown of righteousness given to those people who lovingly watch for the appearing of Christ? Did you know that? There's a specific reward for that. That's 2 Timothy 4, 8. So it's worth repeating here from the lesson that we learned last week. Where is my treasure? Right? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What am I watching for? What treasures am I laying up? Okay? Because here's the deal. Love is expressed in the context of a relationship. Okay? As I'm sure you know. But our love for Christ is expressed in a heart that says, All I want is to be with Christ. All I want is Jesus. He's my greatest need. He's my greatest desire. So I'm watching for Him. I'm on the lookout for Christ. I'm not on the lookout for the next job opportunity or, or whatever. And I get it. we got practical things that we need to do here. But we do all of that in view of Christ's imminent return. Right? Because Christ is all I want. He is all I need. Christ is my reward. I'm looking for that crown of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ that I'll be clothed in because of His grace toward me, right? Not because of anything that I'm, I've done on my own, right? It's all Jesus. He's my reward. And so I'm going to watch for Christ. That's the most important thing for me to be doing is living in light of Jesus's return. Now, these night watches that we see here, the second and third watch, they're, they're just basically periods of time where they had guards stand duty, okay? So you could say that they worked in shifts throughout the night. And so the early Greeks, they would divide the night into three parts. And prior to the exile, so would Israel. Israel would divide the night into three parts as well. But after Israel became subject to the Romans, then they adopted the Roman custom of dividing the night into four parts, okay? And so, or four watches, you could say. That's why Jesus mentioned second and third. But here are those four watches that they stood guard. The first watch is sunset to 9 p.m. The second watch is 9 to midnight. The third watch is midnight to 3. And the fourth watch is 3 a.m. to sunrise, okay? So, the point that Christ is teaching here is that I could come back at any of those times during any of those watches. And so stand guard. In other words, don't take a night off. Don't fall asleep on your shift. Whatever watch you're in, keep watching. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, about this idea of, man, wouldn't it be nice if I knew when I was going to drop dead or if I just knew when the Lord was going to come back? You know, if, if, you know there's been a lot of uh, foolish speculation out there about the Lord's return and people dating it and, you know, avoid that. You know, don't do that. But... Wouldn't it be kind of cool if we didn't know the hour? I mean, because then we'd all be ready, wouldn't we? You know, it's kind of like when you were a kid and, the, and the, the folks were out of town and you're having a party at your house. I don't know any about this. I've heard about this. <laughs> but you'd be on the watch out 
Because mom and dad could come back at any time, right? Their return was imminent. And you wanted to be ready when they come, but you didn't really want to be ready while they were gone. Right? You wanted to do your own thing. That's the idea here. We need to be ready no matter what watch it is. Because Christ is coming. And if the master would have known, then the thief wouldn't have broken into the house, right? So the point is to stay ready. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. He's coming soon. He could come back at any time. And not only could he come back at any night watch, he could come back at any hour, right? So here was, here's how the Jewish hours laid out. The first hour was sunrise to 9 a.m. The third hour was 9 a.m. to noon. The sixth hour was noon to 3 p.m. And then the ninth hour, 3 to sunset. So you had the first, third, sixth, and ninth hours. Okay, which again, Christ is saying, I can come at any of those hours, right? But if the master, which is to say, if the leader of the home in this analogy, if the head of the house would have stayed ready, then his home would not have been broken into. And so the application is if the people of God would stay ready watching for Christ's return, then we would not have our hearts broken with shame and guilt and regret, etc. when Christ returns and finds us doing things we shouldn't be doing. Right? That's the analogy here. That's the application. Verse 40. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So to be ready means to be prepared, right? Waist girded, lamps burning. We are ready. We're prepared. You know what? I've never heard of a thief going by somebody's house and putting a little post-it note on their door at noon that says, see you tonight. (laughs) I never heard of that. So we have to always be ready, right? The rich man said, I've got many goods laid up for many Years. That's verse 19. We looked at that last week. Many goods for many years. He had a long view of his life. But it was a mistaken view because God said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. That's verse 20. You know, somebody once said, We either leave our wealth or we go to it. And that's a great way to say that. Because those of us who try to store up treasure on earth, those of us who have this earthly perspective of this is where my treasure is I'm living for the now I'm going to get all I can get while I can get that idea when we die or when Christ comes and we have that view we're leaving our wealth but if we live today in view of Christ's return with our waist girded and our lamps burning we're living with a purpose in Christ we're doing those things that he is asking us to do in his word then when he comes or when he requires our soul of us, we're going to our wealth. We're not leaving it. We're going to our wealth. There's a crown of righteousness for those who watch for the return of Christ. So it's just like the old preachers used to say back when I was first a Christian. I heard this a lot. They would say things like, pardon me, They would say things like, we need to live today like Christ is coming back tonight. In fact, I heard a preacher say one time, I hope Jesus comes back by lunchtime. If he don't come back by lunch, I hope he comes back by dinner. If he's not here by dinner, I hope he comes back before bed. That's the idea of living in light of Christ in view of Christ's imminent return. You know, there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, because I've been a Christian now 30 years, but I guess that is a long time. But back in my early days of the faith, 
we talked about the return of Christ all the time. It just was something we dealt with. We talked about it a lot. We looked forward to it. It was exciting. You had people with bumper stickers on their car that said, in case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. <laughs> you know, and things like that. So we really talked about the Lord's return a lot. It, it was exciting. And we got that straight out of Scripture. But for whatever reason, we don't talk like this anymore. But Christ is saying, live in light of my soon return because I could come at any time. In other words, don't gather all you can get here, right? Don't work for this life. Don't glean the field. That means to get everything. You know, we talked about this last week. Jesus said, no, don't hoard or glean, sell and give. Okay, that's a biblical perspective. Don't glean the field. Don't be greedy. Be generous. Don't store up your treasures on earth. Get yourself ready. Get your soul ready for heaven. In other words, get dressed. Gird your waist. Gird the loins of your mind. Make sure that lamp is burning. Be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and stay ready. Verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? So in context, Christ was speaking to the disciples, okay? And we pick that up from verse 22. But by extension, of course, this applies to all of us. This applies to all believers. It's for everyone who professes to be a steward or a child of God, right? I like how G. Kimball Morgan said it. He said that he, meaning Christ, answered Peter's question with a question, which narrows and extends. He says, our Lord said in effect... Whether I'm talking to you or the crowds really depends. I'm talking to my stewards, and of course your stewards, but the door is still open. Other people may come in, if they will, into my kingdom and become my servants and become my stewards. And he's exactly right. So this parable here, to answer the question, Jesus is talking to all of us. This applies to all of those who wish to follow Christ. What does he say? Verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is faithful and wise? Who is, who is that rather faithful and wise steward? The word steward just means manager. Okay? So who is that faithful and wise manager? Whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. So again, Christ is speaking to whomever will listen here. Okay? Whoever is willing to be faithful with what God has called them to manage. So what's God called you to manage? What are you a steward over, right? Pastors, it would be your flock. It would be the church. Dads, it would be your home, right? Christians, it would be the talents that God's given you. It would be the gifts that God has given you. Those are the resources. Whatever God has given you to steward, how are you doing that? How are you managing all of these things that God has given you to manage? You see, those who wish to be ready when Christ returns will be proving that by their faithfulness and by their wisdom in how they steward the blessings of God right now. Okay, Primarily how they steward their home. He specifically mentions the word household here. And so what this does, guys, is this keeps all of our focus off of material things. Okay, We don't own these things. We manage them. They belong to God. And so whatever resources, talents, gifts, abilities he's giving us, we just manage that. It's his. 
And we do it in a way that is pleasing to him. We're faithful and we're wise with those things. So this helps us to keep that heavenly perspective rather than get bogged down with the things of the world. Because the truth is, we have to be more concerned with people than we are with possessions. Okay, we need to be more concerned with people. Remember what Christ told Peter after he made him that breakfast we talked about? Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, Peter... Go build me bigger synagogues. Peter, build the biggest church you can. Make sure it's the prettiest block on, prettiest building on the block. No. Peter, make sure you get all of the programs just right within the church. Peter, make sure you hang on to the old traditions. No. What did he tell Peter? Feed my sheep. It's about people, isn't it? It's about people. Jesus said, Peter, you feed my sheep in John 21, 17. And no doubt the message got through to Peter because listen to what he said in 1 Peter 5, 2. This is Peter speaking and he's telling the elders and the pastors to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd them. He said, be an example to the flock in 1 Peter 5, 3. Guys, Peter became faithful and wise, didn't he? After Christ restored him, he became faithful and wise. So pastors and elders, if you're a leader in the church of God, feed the flock. Feed the sheep. Shepherd the church. Shepherds lead and they protect and they steward the things of God, the people of God, right? It's about people. Listen, husbands, you're the pastor of your home. I hope you know that. You are the pastor of your home. You're the leader. You're called to protect it, to lead it, to steward it. You're to shepherd your family. You're to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your job, dad. It's your job, father, husband, to protect your family from the materialism of this world. It's on you. It's on your shoulders. So be faithful and be wise. Verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find in so doing when he comes. Amen. We're to be doing. Again, we're not kicked back on the couch waiting for the trumpet to blow. There's stuff to do. Okay, and we got to be doing it in light of Christ's return. And we must be faithful and wise in how we do it. That word doing, it literally means to make, which is interesting. We'll talk more about that. It means to make or produce, to construct, form or fashion. That's the idea. Too many people will say, Man, you know, one day I'm going to serve the Lord once I get all my stuff straight. You know, uh, some of the young people, it's very common for young people to say, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm having a good time. I'm going to sow a few seeds and then whenever I get older, I'll serve the Lord. Man, didn't we learn something about that last week? We don't know the number of our days. Our soul could be required of us at any time, right? I mean, God told the rich man in Christ's parable, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. So what are we to be doing in the meantime? Well, the, again, the word is make. What did Jesus say before he left? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's it. That's what we're supposed to be doing, making disciples until Christ 
comes. And when, until the end of the age, right? When, what's that? Well, right now we live in the age of grace. That's, that's how we identify this age we live in. But the end of that age is when Christ returns. And so until then, we're to be busy making disciples, right? Until he comes, until his kingdom that's not of this world comes. Verse 44, truly I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all that he has. That's right. So the faithful person, the faithful disciple, the one who is watchful and wise, that servant will one day be made a ruler. Interesting. That word ruler means to be put in charge. Okay. So look at what's going on here. Christ is teaching us about a hierarchy in heaven. Did you know that that was a thing? Okay, this kingdom that's coming, that Christ is bringing, there's a hierarchy there, right? Interesting. So what that tells us is how we live now for Christ will have an impact on our position in heaven. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Paul writing says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That means that's where we start. And okay, our foundation is Christ. We build from that. Okay, we're talking about Christians here. Every Christian has a foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're not talking about unbelievers at this point, we're talking about believers. Paul goes on. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, which is Christ, right? Okay, we're born again, we're in Christ, He is our Savior. Now we work in this life, not for our salvation, because we're already saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Now we work because we are saved, right? We have a purpose in this life. We have things that we need to be doing, Christ said earlier. So if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, that's, that's the available building materials for us out there in the world, okay? Then each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. That's, that's day with a capital D. All right, so one of these days, we're going to be judged for how we live this life for Christ as a believer. Okay, What materials did you use to build your life in Christ? Was it gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw? Okay, So one of these days, the Word says, each one's work will become clear. Right? There's no hiding in heaven. It's going to be clear because it's going to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Think about that. What happens to gold and silver and precious stone when it goes through fire? It's refined, right? What happens to wood, hay, or straw? It burns up. It's gone, right? So how I live today matters in eternity, doesn't it? Will I be at the end of the judgment day with a handful of ash? Or will I have something beautiful and sparkling to lay at the feet of my Savior? Amen. Now's the time to decide that, right? If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. It's not a salvation issue, issue, okay? If you're saved, you're saved. Christ will keep you saved. But he expects us to live in a way that is purposeful for him, making disciples, growing in Christ, living for the Lord Jesus Christ in view of His imminent return, right? Using those good building materials, the gold, silver, and precious stone, right? We don't want to build our life here with materials that are going to burn up there. 
right? No, we want to have something to lay at the feet of our Savior, verse 45. But what if that servant says in his heart, oh, my master's delaying is coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. This is like those kids partying at their mom and dad's house I was telling you about earlier that I heard about. <laughs> partying like mom and dad ain't coming home until they pull up in the driveway and everybody scatters. Guys, some people live like the Lord ain't coming. Some people live like Christ is not going to return. Some people live like their heart is never going to be exposed. Jesus said this servant says in his heart. Hmm. Again, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, the Lord said. So a heart that's set on heaven is not going to be consumed with earthly activities. That will not consume a Christian. Okay. That kind of heart, the heart of a believer who waits for the Lord, who's watching for the Lord, whose waist is girded, lamp is burning, that kind of heart is going to be set on fire and consumed with the things of God. But a heart that just arrogantly ignores the return of Christ, maybe we don't want to think about it, whatever. Well, that heart's going to be bogged down in physical conflict. It's going to be bogged down in self-pleasure, self-gratification, narcissism. That is the culture we live in, right? This is a heart, guys, that settles for lesser satisfactions, okay? This is a non-believer. This is someone who did not take care of their household, verse 42. In fact, what they did was destroy it. How sad. So a good idea here would be for me to ask myself, what is it that is diverting my attention away from Christ? What is that? What's that thing that causes me to not live like I should for the Lord Jesus Christ? That diverts my attention. I need to find that thing. I need to identify that thing clearly and I need to crush it like the idol that it is. That's what I need to do. I need to understand, guys, that the reason that Christ hasn't come back yet is not so that I can experience more selfish pleasure in this life. That's not why. The reason Christ hasn't come back yet is so that more people can come into his kingdom. First Peter chapter 1. And my job as a disciple of Christ, as a believer, is to make more disciples. Right? That's what I need to be busy doing. Not wasting my life on self-pleasure. Verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So to not look for Christ is to not expect him. Right? If you're not looking for Christ, then in your heart you really don't expect him to come back. Right? This exposes a lack of faith. That's what's going on here. This exposes a lack of faith in the master's return. Okay, and look what happens. Severe judgment awaits those who do not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word says here, they will be cut in two. Now that's very graphic to think about, but it literally means this because there is a harsh Hebrew punishment back in the day where they literally cut people in two. That is severe. Okay, so Christ is not saying, I'm going to come and chop everybody in half. Here's the application for you and me. Look, if my heart is divided about Christ today, if I'm not looking for his return, 
If I don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if I'm not watching for him, if I've not repented of my sins and gotten my life right with him, right? Then when he returns, he will divide my portion with the unbelievers. Man, that's serious stuff. My portion will be divided. My lot, my destiny will be with the unbelievers. Verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will. Right? This guy, he knew it. He knew what to do, but he didn't do it. He didn't prepare. He didn't do God's will. This one shall be beaten with many stripes. Guys, the fact of the matter is many people know the truth, but they just don't obey it. They know it's right in God's eyes. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the truth, but they just, eh, it doesn't really matter. So those who know the truth and don't respond to it appropriately will be punished accordingly. That's what the teaching is, right? So to not expect the imminent return of Christ, if I don't expect that, that's very foolish. Okay, It's very foolish of me to think that there's nothing beyond the grave. It's very foolish of me to not let my mind go there and just ignore it, thinking that Christ is going to delay his return or that I might live for many, many years. That's a very foolish way to think. It's very temporal, right? Because what that does, guys, that kind of thinking, it just overflows with arrogance and self-importance, doesn't it? That's what happens there. And Christ says that's foolish. Verse 48, But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Okay, so here's the teaching. The greater the gift, or the greater the privilege, you could say, then the greater the responsibility, right? Each and every one of us in here are responsible for the truth that we know. If we know the truth, we're responsible to respond to that truth in faith. So one of the things that we're learning here is just as there is apparently this hierarchy in heaven, right? So in other words, how we live as Christians here matters in regard to our position in heaven. There also appears to be different levels of punishment in hell. And the truth is, based on verse 48, Pleading ignorance is not an excuse that will keep anyone out of hell. Just saying, I didn't know, right? Verse 48, but he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes. So just saying, I didn't know, I don't know. That's not going to cut it. There's a meme, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's a picture, you know, we always talk about the pearly gates and Peter and all that stuff. Um, not Bible, but still, it's funny. Um, there's a picture of a guy standing before Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter looks down and he looks at this sheet of paper and looks back at the guy that's standing there in front of him. And he says, oh, it says here that you're an atheist. And it flashes back over to the guy standing there and he says, was, was. <laughs> right? Pleading ignorance is not going to matter. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17 says, If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear its iniquity. 
Guys, men are without excuse. That's Romans chapter 1. We're sinners, each and every one of us, and what we do best is sin. Okay? All of us are guilty of sinning, Romans 3.23. And we can trust that on judgment day, God's judgment will be just. It will be righteous, which means he's not going to make any mistakes. It will be right. Okay? And he's going to judge our hearts based on whether or not we really knew him. Okay? And he's going to judge believers based on how we lived for him. The things that we did in his name whether we stored up treasure on earth or in heaven. In other words, the punishment is going to match the crime. Okay, we can trust God to be right in that. Now, there's one thing I want to point out here quickly, and that's that there are some scholars out there who think that Christ is not really referring to hell here, um, but that those who are not prepared for his return, they're just simply not going to get rewarded uh, as richly as those who were prepared and uh, basically, they're just going to essentially miss out on God's best for them, uh, what God had intended for him. But you need to know, I don't put myself in that camp. I don't believe that, okay? Because Christ is describing punishment here, not rewards, okay? He's describing punishment. Believer, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ by faith, you will not be punished, Christ took your punishment at the cross. Christ absorbed all of the wrath of the Father toward your sin at his cross. Christ was punished for you and for me. So believers are not going to be punished. We're going to be rewarded based on how we live for Christ after coming to faith in him. And so only those who have received the free gift of eternal life here are going to be uh, rewarded in heaven, right? The faithful and the wise, according to verse 42. These are the ones who are eagerly watching for his return. Okay, but those who have not received Christ, those who have not been born again, okay, those who are neither faithful nor wise, according to verse 42, they, of course, have no thoughts beyond the grave. They have no thought of Christ returning. It doesn't matter, right? It's not a part of their life. They don't watch for his return. And so look what's going to happen. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17, verse 36, and we'll get there eventually. But this is Christ speaking of his return. He says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. That's right. One will be taken and the other one left. The one that will be taken will be the one that is watching for his return. The one that has, that has prepared themselves by entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Those are the ones that will be taken. The ones who won't, they will not be faithful, nor will they be wise. They're going to live for this life. They're going to do what they want. They're going to have a lot of self-pleasure, a lot of narcissism, a lot of arrogance. Get all you can get. Live the life you want to live, etc. And then, bang, Christ comes. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. I wouldn't want to be left I want to go with Christ. I want to be where he is. So guys, there's going to be degrees of rewards for believers in heaven. There's going to be degrees of punishment for those in hell, the unbelievers. And these are the truths here that Christ is teaching in light of his soon return. Okay? And so based on that, I've got to wonder. I've got to ask myself, 
Why don't people take Christ seriously? You ever wondered that? Why don't they just take him at his word? Why don't we take Christ at his word? Listen, the word of God, this book, the Bible, told us that Christ would come. And he did, didn't he? The word of God told us that Christ would lay down his life for our sins. And he did. Christ himself told us that he would raise from the dead. And he did. And you know what else? Christ also told us that he's coming again. And he will. We have no reason to doubt that. Why would we ever doubt the word of God? Why would we question so much truth? Guys, part of what makes the Bible true is looking at the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Right? You can see all throughout Scripture, all of the prophecies that have come true. Why would we doubt it? Why would we think Christ isn't coming? Christ is talking about his return here because he's about to leave. He's about to leave his disciples and head to Calvary and lay down his life on that cross and then take it up again three days later and then going on to show proof of his resurrection to hundreds of people after he had risen from the grave. And then he's going to ascend back to heaven. That's what's about to happen. But listen, that's not the end of the story. Okay, that's not it. Listen to what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Luke writing says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he, Jesus, went up, this is his ascension after his resurrection, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was, taking, who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. Why are you standing there gazing? You got stuff to do. Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming. In the same way that he went, what am I going to do with my life until then? What am I going to do? Am I going to be ready? Am I going to stay ready? Is my waist girded? Is my lamp burning? Am I on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I indifferent? Am I watching? Am I making disciples? These are questions that I have to deal with personally. Because here's the deal. In all honesty, it doesn't matter when Christ comes back. It doesn't matter. He's coming when he's coming. What matters is that Christ is coming. You see, it's the who, not the when. Jesus Christ is coming. So am I ready? Am I watching? We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your imminent return. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us with this teaching so that we can understand a little better the importance of your soon return and the importance of how I live my life today in light of that soon return. Lord, I I pray that I can, based on the truth that I've learned today from your word, I pray that I can look at my life honestly and take an honest evaluation of how I've been living, how I've been leading my family, how I've been doing things, and that you will show me where all the slack is, 
that needs to be girded up. I pray, Lord, that you will help me to see whether or not my lamp is burning. Maybe it was blown out a long time ago. Maybe it's just barely flickering. I don't know. But I pray, Lord, that you would help me to get it burning again. Pray that my heart would be consumed on fire with the Lord Jesus Christ. That the most important thing in my life would be knowing you and making you known. That I would be consumed with your word. That you would consume me with your spirit. That you would teach me, Lord. That you would lead me and guide me. Help me to be about my father's business the way that you were while you were here on this earth. Help me to stop wasting my life and start living on purpose, being a good steward of all those things that you've given me to steward, gifts, talents, resources, whatever. It's all yours. Help me to manage it well. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be wise. Knowing that you're coming. What a day that's going to be. And Lord, you tell us to even pray for that day. The last chapter of the Bible. You say the spirit and the bride, meaning the church, say come. So Lord, this morning, this little church in Union, Missouri that you're planting, that you're establishing, that you're growing, that you're feeding, that you're nurturing. This little church this morning says, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day when you come and you set all things right. So help us to live with that perspective. Help us to live each day in view of your soon return. And forgive me, Lord, for the many days that I haven't. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who hears this message and they don't have a relationship with you, that they're not ready, that they would get ready today, that they would turn from their sin, they would repent of that sin and trust in Jesus alone by faith to save them. Believing, Lord, that you're the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin and rose again so that they could have eternal life in you. Pray that as best they know how, in the quietness of their own heart, they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to disciple them, to make disciples. Help us to reach this community for Christ. Help us to keep our lamps burning. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.